another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Thank you so much, Alice Deneen, for coming on the show. Um, we have been talking about this a long time. Uh, my name is Jamie, and I'm joined by a, a new co-host, Sydney. This is her first formal show, and we thought it was the best show for her to be on was to talk to you. And as everyone knows, or the people who don't know, Alice Deneen is the puppeteer behind Brea. And uh, boy, do I have an interesting story about, well... The way that I sort of warmed up to Bray, it was very interesting. But before we get into any of that... Oh, I want to hear about that. <laughs> I, I just, again, want to say welcome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, the show is, as you know, we think it's just really amazing. And uh, it's an impossible miracle that it, it happened and it is alive. It? And that it's it's 10 hours of the most incredible world I've ever seen, so... I'm as overwhelmed as anyone else. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge Dark Crystal fan from way back, and boy, did I want it to be good. As well, a fan, is. <laughs> just as a fan, we are too. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I have certainly enjoyed the process of watching the story and uh, unfold, and you know, reading the scripts and then seeing the development of the characters and. Um, then meeting my fellow performers and just, it was all just a build from one thing to the next, to the next. And, and, uh, I am, I, I really am, I'm genuinely pleased as a fan with where it wound up. So. Um, I imagine I'm, you're probably pretty eager to talk about it as well, because I know for a long time you weren't able to talk about it. <laughs> now exactly. You have we couldn't the freedom talk about to it. talk about it. <laughs> that yeah. has to be awesome. Um, I can only imagine how, um, how torturous it must have been to not be able to talk about it for however long you were instructed to not say a word, you know? I couldn't say anything about, uh, at first we couldn't even talk about the project and then we certainly couldn't say anything that happened or even any characters. So it is, it's wonderful to be able to talk about it. And what's crazy is again, and this happened with when I was talking to Victor, when we met, when Philip and I met um, um, Donna, at the Henson. Of course, you were there, but we didn't know. I mean, because we didn't know, you know, there was still so little about, you know, there were some announcements here and there for sure about voice and the puppeteers, but we weren't putting faces to uh, like puppet names or anything. So there you are in the same space in that studio space working on that show and there victor is and me and phil are just talking to donna because we know donna is uh the voice of agra and she's of course amazing but uh i'm just i kicked myself that i wasn't able to or we weren't able to get a, a formal hello but it was nice to share the space at any rate <laughs> you know it's it's true we're, we're invisible in our in our uh characters it's we are invisible in the characters that we do and sometimes in a big group of puppeteers which which happens we we're all it's a small community and we're all friends as well as co-workers so you know you'll be at a at a 
at a at a party or a wedding or a bar mitzvah and and the you realize sitting around the table are all of these characters you know oh here oh, over here there's there's Big Bird over there, and there's Walter over there, and there's Hup standing over there, and there's the Foster Farms chickens over here, and you just you know you just go one to the next, the next to the next, and you realize how many characters are in the room, but nobody would know it. And it's really really fun sometimes to just have that kind of stealth. Uh, uh, I don't know, is it stealth celebrity? Maybe. Yeah, I was I just know. gonna say you guys are like ninja celebrities. You're you're <laughs> rogue celebrities. <laughs> Definitely. It's, really really fun to um just kind of have that in your in your in your back pocket when you look around at you know all of my wonderful friends that I and it just uh, I love what everybody brings to the table and uh, that was true of I mean that's true of the puppet community here in the U.S. which is fairly evenly split between sort of east coast people and west coast people and then there's another whole community in England which we were lucky enough to get to know on um, the Dark Crystal shoot, names that I'd heard, um, but people that I had never met or met only briefly in passing. And um, it was really wonderful to get to know that that whole group as well. And they're just delightful. I, I miss them. We still talk every day on WhatsApp as a group. And uh, it's it's just, it is, it's a very nice community. Yeah, I also imagine they're they're all going through a lot of the same feelings that that you are of, finally, we can, we can talk freely about this. And and mm-hmm. just gush to, you know, all our friends and family. And um, I was listening to an interview with you um, earlier this week um, with Under the Puppet. And g- gosh, you were just you were doing such a great job not talking about the Dark Crystal. And I was thinking to myself, oh, that must have been so hard. Like and and how everybody involved with all the people that were involved in it going through that. And um, so how does that feel now to be able to just gush with them and with everybody about all the things you had to keep under the lid uh well it it feels it feels really good to be able to talk to people who are excited about the show and who have specific questions which is why i'm so glad that you took questions from fans um to talk to people for whom it's it's meaningful it means something it 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 showed them something it made them laugh or cry or remember something or someone, you know, or connect with their childhood or whatever it is that, you know, people come to, people come to me with their stories about it. And I love that. I love that it means something out there to, to, to a lot of people. And it meant something to me when I was, um, you know, a, a, a young nerdy teen and seeing the dark crystal in theaters, I went over and over to see it in the theater. And, um, it was just, you know, it was it was moving and magical in a way that nothing else was. It's just there's nothing else out there like it. And um, I I love the idea and the idea that's it's it is coming to fruition a bit that that that, that same kind of meaning is being found by people all over the world really in this new show. I, and I, I just am so honored. I love that. Yeah, it has been uh, very cool for fans as well to to see more fans of Dark Crystal resurfacing. Um, so we've all sort of developed this um, this bond and this this brotherhood now that a lot of the time, you know, growing up as a, a Dark Crystal fan, that was kind of a deep cut in in pop culture a lot it of the was. time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now now that's not as much the case. And it's a great time to be a Dark Crystal fan and a great time to be working on it. I imagine for you. 
Oh yeah, it has been. It's been it's been sort of mind blowing. Like dream come true doesn't begin to cover it, it because you wouldn't even think to dream that. It's just uh, it just was a wonderful lining up of the planets um, to be able to be involved. So, so let's sort of begin that journey. Not we're going to eventually get into. Age of Resistance, how that happened. But how did you become involved with puppetry and the Henson Company? What's your, where did your story begin? Huh. Well, I heard in Victor's interview that uh, he talked about the two different kinds of, two different kinds of people in our, in our community. The ones who came to it through acting or improv or some other form of performance or creation and the people who just wanted to be puppeteers from the time they couldn't remember. And, and, uh, and he is, you know, he's one of the ones that came to it later. I loved it for, for as long as I can remember. And, um, I, I guess I didn't think you could actually do that for a living, but it was always something I was very, very interested in as a, you know, it's, it's just a, as a hobby, as a passion, as a form of self-expression. I don't know. I was doing puppets with my sister um, you know, in the basement and on the playground uh, from elementary school. We were both big, big, big Muppet Show fans and Sesame Street before that. Um, I was kind of lucky enough to be the, just the right age for each big Henson thing. You know, I was a baby when Sesame Street came out and I was seven, eight, nine when Muppet Show was on the air. And then I think I was nine when the Muppet movie came out and then 14 when Dark Crystal came out. I was just, just the right age for all these things. So the whole Henson canon really informed um, my imaginative life and my sense of humor and my sense of fun and joy. And it just was, I feel really, really lucky to have been right in that pocket. And um, then also to have had parents that were enormously supportive with, you know, art lessons and community theater and, you know, dance class and music lessons and all the things that you, all the things you need, all the tools you need, you need, you need, you need a lot of different, uh, you need a lot of different little skills to sort of successfully pull off the puppeteer thing because you, you do need, there is, there is, uh, so many different elements, so many different little crafts that go into it. So... And I do remember you uh, had mentioned you worked at a theme park in high school um, that incorporated puppetry. You worked at Fairyland in in Oakland. Um, That's right. Which I just, I, I'm actually a Bay Area resident myself um, fairly recently. And hearing you talk about it, I, I was like, oh, there's a new place I need to go explore now because that's right up my alley. So um, Did you go? I imagine I haven't yet. I literally just learned about it from your interview this week. So I, it is on my list now. I'm going to as soon as I'm done uh, recovering from a recent uh, surgery. I'm I'm headed there because I'm so excited. It's like a little part of Henson history now that that you were there. And <laughs> so, um, well, yeah. did that do. inform your puppetry now for sure? Absolutely. Because um, uh, I mean, Fairyland's been there. My mom went there when she was a kid. It's been there a long, long time. And um, I think, you know, I think it was uh, the earliest sort of themed, well, theme park, um, even though it's very tiny, it's a little fairy tale theme, but, um, but they claim that Walt Disney, you know, sort of got inspiration for building a theme park from this little fairyland park. And um, it has a puppet theater in it. And then they do elaborate productions. Um, 
And so I was able to see live puppet theater from the time I was a toddler, as well as having Sesame Street on the air and then having um, Muppet Show on the air. And, and, and in addition to that, Oakland um, has always had sort of a, a rich community of puppetry and, and puppeteers. The Guild was run by uh, Frank Oz's parents, uh, Mike and Francis Osnowitz. And, um, and there are just a lot of builders and makers and creators that have, uh, have come through there or were influenced by the scene there. And, uh, it's, um, it's some, it's a place that, uh, is geared toward maybe, you know, six and under, you know, preschool, very early elementary school, but then slightly older kids can go to fairyland, um, and dress up as fairy tale characters and do the shows, um, on weekends for the younger kids, little sort of song and dance pageants. So I did that, uh, in fourth and fifth grade. And, um, then as soon as I was legal to get a work permit, I got a job there, um, you know, selling tickets or running the rides, but I also was doing the, the puppet shows. Um, and so I just, I just stayed involved. I just kept, I just kept circling back to it. And uh, it's just a, a, an interest and a, a love that I've always had. And um, then I was, it was d- too cool for it for a little while in high school, but then in, in, went back to it in college. And uh, uh, then right after college, started working at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta through their amazing internship program, which has trained a bunch of people that are still active and working. And, um, and from there was lucky enough again with time and place timing to, to, to be recruited for auditions for Sesame street. Cause they were looking specifically for women at that time. So that was, that was sort of the first time that I met anyone from the Henson family or company, uh, was when they came to Atlanta to, for a, uh, for a gala and some performances and so on at the, at the center for puppetry arts. Uh, and and I also shortly thereafter went to the Gene O'Neill Theater Center for one of their first, I think I went to their first national puppetry conference. Um, and that uh, Jane Henson was involved in that. And uh, it was, you know, there were just a lot of different inputs right at the same time that kept kind of pointing in the same direction. So uh, I was fortunate in that my interests and my luck aligned themselves the way they did. Yeah, they, they absolutely did. And mm-hmm. um, that's that's such an awesome, I just, I love that tidbit about how you're, you got your start um, with your sister and then, and then working at a fantasy theme park. And cause I, I really think that comes full circle too. That explains the, the little bit of fantasy in your heart, the fairies and the elves and the otherworldly creatures. And um, did you find yourself ever thinking about that as you're working on Brea or the ornamentalist, you know, in the dark crystal, thinking back to, you know, wow, what a, what a journey from, from fairyland to an actual, to, to Thraw, you know, from fairyland to Thraw. That's your book. Okay. There you go. <laughs> there it is. That's my book title. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. Uh, well, I did. I mean, I think, I think all of us would, we would, we would be, you know, in one of the pits or trenches or, you know, under something and sweating and tired and been at it all day. And, 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 you know, looking sort of gray or green or ashen or filthy or whatever we were, because that's how, that was basically the description of all of us the entire time. And then 
one of us, Warwick or Neil or Becky, would sidle over and just sort of poke me in the arm and point up at the set and say, we're, we're in the crystal chamber. Look, look, we're in the crystal chamber. Check it out. And we'd just geek out again after months imagine. of being in there. I can't even <laughs> just, imagine. It's, yeah. I mean, after we, we, we lived there, we were there for, you know, for all of our waking hours and, and, and it was still, it was still that moment where, you know, one of your, one of your buddies points out, Hey, take a minute, breathe, look up, look where we are. And it was uh, just over and over. It was chills down the spine over and over because it was all so beautiful. Everything that's on screen you know, almost everything, with the exception of of a few CG elements, which are which are you know clearly shown in documentaries and so on. I don't need to explain it, but ninety nine percent of everything was there. It was there in front of us, and we could we could look at it, we could pick it up and touch it, and 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 just be in awe of these set designers and prop makers and costumers and. Puppet makers, of course, and and just the, even the the lighting, the matte painting, everything was just, just would blow our minds on a daily basis, and it was easy to forget when we were so tired. We were as tired as we were the whole time, but then somebody would always say, "Hey, take a minute, appreciate this," and we would just cry. I would just cry <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that that'd be me. I'd be lame. Um, but I, I will say that probably as an actor made your job, I wouldn't say easier, but more immersive, a hundred percent more immersive to be able to look around. And I mean, that probably I imagine would inform your performance. You had so much more to react to being so immersed in that world in a very real way. Could you, um, elaborate on that a little bit? Would you say that that's the case? Absolutely. It was, it was, uh, you you weren't just able to do a deeper dive into the character and the story. You were pulled into it because it was around us. It wasn't you know it wasn't a it wasn't a backdrop and it wasn't a three wall set. It was surrounding you entirely, and uh, there was and and the uh, the dialogue was so rich and actable. There was drama. There were things you could really sink your teeth into, and uh, and on top of that, even though it was they were heavy and hot and difficult. Louis really liked to play the scenes all the way through. He didn't want to go line by line or two or three lines or chip away at things the way a lot of directors do. He wanted to play the whole scene start to finish and really let it breathe and, and, and live and try to make those moments real. And, uh, and he would do it multiple times. The moment, the moment we finished, he'd reset everything and start again from the beginning. And we would do that over and over. We shot some scenes seven, eight, 11, 15 times and, uh, and all the way through. And it was, it was a really nice way to do it. I, uh, I thought he was insane at first. There were many ways in which I thought Louis was insane at first. And then I realized he was just really pulling us all into a much more visceral performance and experience. And I'm very grateful to him for it. So let's back up or get into a little bit how you, I mean, for the record, the, the character that everyone knows that you puppeteer is Brea, but of course mm -hmm. you 
you know, you puppeteer the ornamentalist and I have your list right here. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and there, you know, um, Bobbin and which is a cute character, Madra Farah. Um, and let's see who else, anybody else am I missing? Uh, little, little guys like the thrush pogs and, um, the, the sidekick in the, in the scientist lab. Um, he was, he was RC, but I did those noises for him and, and, and the RC controller. That, that was a fun character. Uh, you know, podlings in the, in the, in the tavern scenes. And, um, and then we're, we're constantly assisting one another doing, doing hands and feet and, uh, you know, various elements of one another's characters and sometimes even doubling each other's characters. Um, you know, somebody had two that were in the same scene. And uh, so so all of us are all over the place all the time. It would be, uh, you know, be, it would be difficult to say, uh, you know, exactly which which characters one because a lot of them, a lot of the little creatures and so on just got passed around constantly and and had a bunch of different hands on them. But yeah, you've got the list basically down. Was there a character that was harder to put down at the end of the day for you that you felt more bonded to than the others? Well, I feel really close to Brea. I mean, she was hard to put down at the end of the production. It was very, very, I missed her at the end. I actually, I actually missed her the way you'd miss a friend. Um, I was, uh, you know, I, I had to sort of stop myself from, from sort of thinking, oh, I wonder what she's doing right now. I, she's lying in a box, inert, is what she's doing right now. But, um, but it's, it was, it was, uh, it was really, really hard to, to, to set her down for the last time. I mean, I, I, I might even get emotional talking about it right now because we, we, I was a very, very close to, to that. I mean, she's such a beautiful object. They did such a beautiful sculpt, and just her costume, her hair, her her everything. The um, you know, she's a beautiful, beautiful uh, you know tool to work with. And um, I was just, you know, I was I was honored, but and and I and I was just really, I just really connected to her. Um. We all were connected to her watching as well, <laughs> I have to say. Um, running the, the Crystal Shard group and getting to see the constant fan interactions, um, I know Jamie will agree. Um, it's it's a pretty safe bet to say that the entire fandom, the whole community felt really moved by Brea in particular, because in all of the conversations about, you know, which character did you, you know, vibe with the most, everybody always talks about how impressive Brea was and how just blown away by Brea and her performance just I, you really nailed the little moments with her um the little moments of of real emotion carried oh, across so real so very well done there thank you very much i remember when i first saw the of course because everything with dark crystal dark crystal takes a long time whether it's the original film or um the two years between the announcement and the release more than two years uh the announcement and the release of age of resistance uh, the first three characters we saw were, of course, Brea, Deet, and Rian. And I remember when the pictures dropped, sort of not processing right away what I was seeing. And they're like, oh, this is from the Dark Crystal. I'm like, hold on, hold on. What am I looking at here? And seeing Brea and thinking, oh, she's interesting. And the, po the photo that they used of her, which was, um, I think she was on the beach 
that scene where she's, I can't remember the name of that Gelfin clan, the Seafin? The Seafin. She's she's in the Seafin tent. And she looks very pensive and poised and a little cold. I'm thinking, oh, this is an interesting character. Uh, And I saw uh, Deet and I was like, oh, okay, I think Deet's, I like Deet. She just... I could already enter her, you know, like I could already like, Mm -hmm. like her eyes. She was just a window into the soul of this character. And then, of course, August 30th rolls around and I get to see Brea um, in action. And I was just floored. And, you know, I come from, you know, of course, the first Dark Crystal is, you know, was my favorite film of all time for a long time. And uh, the way that um, Catherine Mullen puppeteers kira is just incredibly astounding her movements the way her mouth moves when she turns the way she her eyes move when she looks up um the scene where the gartham come in in the podling village the way she goes mm-hmm. after jen the way Catherine mullen's body moves with kira so it looks like kira's legs are moving um i was seeing all of that in brea and i was just and the scene where Brea is in the carriage with the scroll people, the scroll keeper and the collector and <laughs> just the way you made her look. And when she asks, could I look at those scrolls or whatever uh, that the scroll keeper is talking about? Oh yeah. The can way, I visit your library? Yes. Mm-hmm. And just how alive she was. Like I couldn't, I had to pick my jaw up off the ground. I am not exaggerating. And this is, she's the single most incredible puppet I've ever seen in my life. And uh, oh. I, I, I don't know well, how you do you. it. And it's really like puppeteering is, a, I'm not a puppeteer, obviously. Uh, I'm a creative person. I'm a writer, blah, blah, blah. Um, but my first entry into really the magic of cinema was through the Dark Crystal. So to see Brea operated in a way that just felt flawless and she was just the most alive of anything I've ever seen in terms of a puppet. Like I think about her, I think about her as a character, um, just, just the, again, that scene in the carriage or when she's talking to, um, Oh, elder Kadia, when she's talking to Annika, just every moment, every, every, like Sydney said, every quick little glance, every small little thing, was full of life, and that's a testament to you. I'm glad you started with mentioning Kathy Mullen's performance in the original because that's where I started uh, in terms of developing that character, in terms of developing her movement and uh, her, you know, the the you know the looks and the focus and the fast turnarounds and so on. It all comes from all comes from Kira. All comes from those choices that Kathy made. Um, and I studied that and I watched it and I looked at it and I just made sure that, I, that, that, that was how a Gelfling girl moved. And, um, so, and, 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 you know, she, she, she set a very high bar. So I decided I'm, I, I need to, I need to step it up here. I need to reach that, you know, just going back and watching what, what she did. Um, and uh, I was, I was lucky enough to sort of get to beta test this this new system that we're, you know, they that uh, that they were working on at the Creature Shop, where we used a modified Wii controller um, in our left hand, and uh, you're lip syncing, moving the head with the right hand, but doing the eyes and the brows uh, with your left on a little joystick, and with the, actually had. Um, two joysticks 
uh, and, and, and a couple of little buttons. And Freya has movements in her brows as well as her eyes. So she has eyes up, down, left, right, a blink, and then she has some brow expressions as well. So those all ran through a little tiny, tiny computer that I wore on a belt around my waist. And then out of that came a Wii controller that I had in my left hand. So I'm sorry, I'm geeking out so hard at the fact that you modified, they modified Wii controllers to control Gelfling. Um, yes. Wow, that's my favorite new tidbit that I know and I'm going to tell everyone I know. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was, uh, well, it shows in the, um, it shows briefly in the documentary uh, that sort of the 11th episode of the series. So um, there's a little section where where I, I, I don't know if they do a close up on it. So I don't know if you really could see what it was, but um, I do run the eyes and the brows a little bit with that. But um, the the best metaphor I came up with was that it was uh, sort of like forming guitar chords for different sounds and emotions. Um, you had these different hand positions with the with the two you know, running the two joysticks with your left hand, it was almost like making guitar chords with your left hand, you know, on the neck of a guitar. Um, and your hand learns the shapes and your hand learns the positions that it needs to be in to push into these different expressions. Um, and that comes from doing it all day, every day for close to a year. I mean, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't second nature by any means at first, but it was very much like learning to play an instrument. And um, Jamie, you said that day that you met Donna and Victor and I were also in the room. That was a an HDPS shoot day, wasn't it? Uh, word party. I think that's what you were working yes. on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So HDPS is the is the um, it's the acronym has changed a few times, but I believe it's uh, Henson Digital Performance System. Oh um, wow! And, so it's proprietary. Um, yes. So wow, awesome. uh, all of those input devices are hand built. Um, in order to run CG characters, uh, in order to be able to, to puppeteer them, to be able to move all of the actuators and the faces uh, and ears and, and so on, uh, in much the same way the servos will move the expression points on an animatronic character. So um, I had a ton of experience with the HDPS system. You saw us, you saw us using it when you came to visit. And um, so the left hand runs the eyes on uh, on those systems as well. So I had, you know, I had I had this skill set already walking into it, where I knew to blink and turn the eyes and run the brows and so on, all with these these, you know, all over on the left. What it meant was that I couldn't do my own hands with Freya. Although occasionally I would tape, I would literally duct tape the Wii controller to an arm rod so I could do her do a hand as well. If I really needed to be able to coordinate the the movement between the head and the hand, otherwise I relied on just excellent assists. Um, uh, I always I, I pulled in Victor whenever I could, uh, Sue Beattie, Daisy Beattie, um, uh, Cats Me whenever I could get her. We all fought over her, like Victor said. Um, and uh, we just had a we had a wonderful time, uh, you know, needing to collaborate and coordinate on these characters. Um, but uh, what you know, uh, I'm not sure if Victor mentioned it or not, but he was doing the same thing with Hop, um, which was running his own eye blinks and uh, and you know a little bit of the expressions with his with his left hand and with the Wii controller, and. It enables you to coordinate the eye movement and the head movement in a way that isn't somebody else with a with a remote control. You know, a radio airplane controller is what we would use for the Skeksis and so on. And um, uh, that's one way of doing it. But 
uh, and we get we would get very very synchronized with each other and start reading each other's minds the way you do when you're right handing for somebody. But there's still there's still just a teeny bit of lag, and there are times when you guess wrong, and and there's just there's really something to be said for having one performer uh, do a do a look where you send the eyes to the left at the same moment that the head turns to the left, and it just engages the two together in a way that there's not really a substitute for. And I loved being able to, 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 to do that and to, you know, that's, that's where all of those looks and glances, you know, those quick glances that are coordinated and that side eye and all that came from being able to do it myself. And, um, it's, you know, between that and the amazing advantage of all of that hair, which gave so much life and movement just with a turn of the head. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. was just, um, it was really, I felt really, really fortunate to, to, to be able to, to have that, that part of it too. And that side eye you mentioned has become something of a, of a meme in the Dark Crystal fan community. <laughs> when we, when we judge each other, we might say something like, I'm giving you the Brea side eye right now. <laughs> Is <laughs> that right? Noticed. Oh yes, absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I will um, say though, it's, it's interesting hearing you compare it to, um, the, the process to the coordination of playing a guitar, um, and I wonder, um, and this was also something that, that another fan had asked, and it was something that I wondered myself, do you find yourself when you are watching things, like if you're watching another production that, that you're not, um, actively in yourself, do you find yourself sort of air puppeting along with it absentmindedly? Like, like somebody might air guitar when they listen to a song, you know, if the hand movements are like second nature to you after doing it over and over, I imagine mm -hmm. you, you would have moments when you're, you're just trying to, you know, watch Muppets with your kids and you're sitting there playing your imaginary Wiimote <laughs> as you're watching <laughs> that sort of thing happen. Uh, well, I watch, I watch, uh, Pixar movies for eye movement all the time. Just constant. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the gold standard of what they do with, with eyes and blinks and looks and, and, um, you know, they can, they can, do it frame by frame and so they can really perfect it and they do it's uh it's extraordinary you know it's a master class for any of us who want to animate anything ever and um and you know i, I, I learned a lot from just watching um you know watching go, going back and watching the original i mean they those guys they were good <laughs> they still they still uh you know it's it's yeah, they had a little bit less in terms of, you know, the remote control and the, and the CG sweetening and the rod removal. And, you know, we had a lot more tricks up our sleeves, um, so that we could, you know, we could, we could pull off a little bit more, but boy, did they get a lot onto the, onto the screen in, in, uh, you know, in the eighties version. Yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving, like the, even the original Dark Crystal. I mean, I've seen that movie hundreds of times and I can watch it again and think and just see something like I've never seen that before you know and mm -hmm. uh, you just miss things and then doubly so quadruply so for Age of Resistance uh, a question I had for you though the rig that you were mentioning that you use for word party is mm -hmm. was there any have you had you puppeteered I don't know if the rig is similar to what your hand was inside of in terms of puppeteering Brea or the ornamentalist or the other uh, puppets had you puppeteered anything like what you did in the dark crystal before in terms of the technology? 
Like, how did you get used to that? Yeah, no, the theory was the same, but the tools were very different. Um, so the, the, um, that whole routine of wearing a tiny little, it wasn't a raspberry pie, but it was one of those sort of free floating motherboard type little bitty maker space computers. Um, and it was just inside a plastic box in a, in a, in a belt pack. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was, that was, that was all there was to that, to that computer. But the, um, oh, there was a whole bunch of batteries as well. It was heavy. Um, but, but it was, it was immensely wearable and wireless. I wasn't, I wasn't dragging a cable or a cord of, of any kind. Um, so I could, you know, run through the forest. I could move. I, I had everything, the computer, the batteries, the controller, all the servos, everything was, was on board, um, which is what gave us an incredible freedom of movement. And, and that was the case on, uh, uh, Brea and on Hup. And, um, we, we were able to, um, we were able to translate our knowledge of how to do a lot of eye movement with our left hands from HTPS and from other animatronic, uh, creature shop projects. Um, I don't know if you watched the Henson Creature Shop challenge, uh, but in that one, they one of the challenges was to make a Skeksis. And, um, oh, yeah. Oh, I Sydney, know all Sydney about that. has a story about that. <laughs> we'll get I, into that. A little baby story, but yeah, absolutely. Tell me, tell me. Yeah, well, so um, they, you didn't see us much in the final edits, um, but they, you know, they had all of, all of us, you know, usual uh, L.A. Henson puppeteers uh, performing the creatures that they were building on the Creature Shop Challenge. And um, on that on that Skeksis Challenge, uh, I was inside one of them, and Victor was inside another one, and uh, inside the third one, I believe, was Drew Massey. And we were looking at each other and, again, sort of giggling and nudging and saying, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, huh? This is never going to happen again. And, uh, you know, little did we know that a few years later, we'd be <laughs> doing it for months and months and months. And, but, uh, but it was still, uh, yeah, that was a moment of extreme, I can't believe this is happening. Because on Creature Shop Challenge, they had the real crystal. That was the original crystal from the movie that was in the middle of the set. And um, they, they, the not, a, not a replica, not a remake, that was, that was the one. And um, so we were having... An incredible amount of geeking out about that. Place. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I'm I'm still geeking out about that actually. Um I actually have in my possession right now one of the mm -hmm. Skeksis from that episode is in my apartment as we speak. Um I actually what? I acquired the the ice Skeksis from Lexi. Um oh. she yeah she recently relocated um to the Bay Area and um, she was getting rid of a lot of stuff, and we just got really lucky. And she said she wanted to give him uh, to a home that would be able to uh, refurbish him and bring him back to life because he'd been sitting in her yard and falling apart for a very long time. And she, mm. um, so now uh, my fiance and I, he's he's an engineer, and I'm uh, something of an artist. So we're <laughs> putting our heads together to bring him back to life. So hearing you talk about the Creature Shop Challenge, I'm just getting all excited because I'm, you know, I've I've had to dive back into that world recently to bring back that Snow Skeksis. He's um, he's super cool. He's really cool, and he's slowly but surely coming back back to life. So 
Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so <laughs> glad. I, that, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, well, he's a really fun addition to my family. <laughs> next time I'm up in the barrier, I'll have to come see him. I would love that. Can we talk about uh, auditions slash casting? How did you, you know, I've heard, you know, I'm speaking to Donna, speaking to Victor and others uh, about sort of the process that they went through. Um, and this is your party. So let's talk about you. <laughs> I, I, I had to throw that in there. Um, how course. did you, what did you, did you start off like, hey, I'm auditioning for Brea. And on, I mixed in with this, I'm curious, this decision that you made, or was it a decision or something that came about organically to say, I don't want the normal amount of assistance for Brea in terms of puppeteering her, I want to do most of this myself. So I, if we want to start off with sort of the casting and how that all happened. Well, I have, uh, I've been with the creature shop for a long, long time. Um, I think the first project that I did was in 1996. It was a show called aliens in the family that ran on ABC. And then we did uh, the country bears and, uh, I've worked with them on all of their animatronic things for, um, you know, basically mid to late nineties. And then, um, everything stopped when the CG came in so strong, uh, after Lord of the Rings. Um, and then gradually it started creeping back in and we started doing HDPS, uh, which was sort of the digital puppeteering answer to, to the new capabilities of all of the CG. And, um, and then little by little, people wanted to see practical creatures again. So they're, they're, they're um, moving back in that direction, which is great. And um, I had, I think right around the time that, um, that we were, uh, that, that Dark Crystal was really shaping up on the production end. And we didn't, we still didn't know that much about it, but I was working with Lisa and Hallie and Rita, um, basically the triumvirate behind Dark Crystal on the Henson end. Um, I was working with them on a show called, uh, Turkey Hollow up in Vancouver. And, um, uh, that was, that was animatronics and, and, and creatures. And I was, uh, I was puppet captaining on that. And, um, and I think right around that time they were, they were moving toward, you know, they were, they were, they were starting to do that sample project. It was sort of a, a little proof of concept for, for Dark Crystal. So right out of, you know, not long after Turkey Hollow, they brought me in for, for, that, for that sample session, which is where I met Louie and Cameron. And, um, and then they had just uh, had kind of gotten a, pre, a, a little bit of a preview alert on it because... Um, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a mom, um, and I have, I have, I have one son and there, there's this, it's kind of a big deal in Los Angeles. When you move from elementary school to middle school, you have to find a school and you have to, there are lotteries and points that you have to collect and, 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 and there's a whole thing and there are public schools and private schools and magnets and charters and all this. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. It's much more to go through than what I went through for, um, get into college. Um, but, uh, the, um, he was just finishing elementary school and moving into middle school. And I was going through all of this and I was talking to Rita about it at a, at an audition for something else. And, um, uh, and she sort of, she just sort of, she got all squirmy and she said, don't, don't, 
don't write any big deposit checks. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Why is that? <laughs> and uh, she said, I'll, I'll, I'll call you next week. And um, so uh, I was just a, a little bit on the alert that, um, that they were going to ask me to do something. And I'd heard that Derek Crystal might be getting a green light and it was probably going to shoot in England. And, and uh, so I started, my you know, gears started turning and, uh, and she, she did, she called me, she said, we don't know any details. We don't know exactly where, we don't know when, we don't know characters, we don't know this or that, but we, we uh, you know, we, we do want your work on it. Um, so, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't write any big tuition checks or anything, but you know, my son goes to public school. I don't write any tuition checks, but, um, he, uh, but I almost, you know, I mean, there were, there were decisions, there were big decisions about his education being made that same week that they were trying to start casting, trying to start securing some, some personnel for this show. So I had this big sort of mysterious sleepless couple of weeks. She said she'd call me next week. She didn't call me for like three weeks. And, um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I slept more than an hour or two for those three weeks um, because I was, so, I was in such a state of anticipation about whether or not they were going to ask me to do this. And, um, you know, and then, and then, uh, and then they, and then they did. And then it was back and forth for um, a while about casting and characters and so on. I had done the the sample Gelfling with HDPS for the for that pilot in which she was computer generated, but she we'd done a motion capture and HDPS uh, kind of um, version. And um, you know, so I'd worked with Louis on animating the face of this Gelfling, which was sort of maybe Braille-like. I don't know. It was g- generic, and and um, but uh, I had. I had not read the scripts. Uh, usually, I mean, I said this at LA Comic Con. Usually, there's the girl character, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to be playing the girl character, um, and I didn't think too much about it. And then um, we were shooting, uh, we were shooting Happy Time Murders, and um, and I was emailed all the scripts, all ten, in one day, and um, and I happened to have some time off in the middle of that, and I sat in the in the trailer and I just read them one after another after another. And they were good, and there was, there was, so much story. There was so much detail. They were so magical. They were so amazing. I was, I, I remember, it was a blazing hot day, and uh, and and I was just sweating buckets and reading these scripts. And I didn't know, it just it was, it was extraordinary because there was not just this Brea character, but there was this wonderful deep character, and then there was this delicious Celadon character, and there were all of these rich wonderful there wasn't just the girl part and um so many girls <laughs> yeah <laughs> and society is run by women <laughs> exactly and so all of a sudden I thought oh well this isn't just gonna be you know this is what who who what where and we you know we went uh we went around with it with some read-throughs and and uh and auditions when um when they auditioned for Hop um I went in and read Deed opposite several different, uh, several different guys, and um, 
And I started to really like that character. But, uh, you know, and I sort of said, what about, what about this one? What about, I, I like this one. And Lisa said, oh, no, we found the perfect D. We found this. Show. She's Irish. She's lovely. She's, you know, and, uh, and Becky was, in fact, the perfect D. Um, so, but some of the other characters were sort of still shifting. They, they, they knew who they wanted, but they didn't know who was going to suit who perfectly well. Um, and so, you know, I read them again and, and, uh, you know, I wasn't in close communication with them because we were working so hard on, on Brian's movie. Um, there wasn't much time for much else, except I read these scripts at every free moment. I would go back and read them again. Oh, and they're so good. Um, and, uh, and, you know, eventually I really started to sort of agitate for, um, for the for the part of Bray, I really it really spoke to me. It really suited me, and and uh, Kevin was Kevin Clash was on that movie as well, and so I spoke to him about it, and he said, "Well, you know, let 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 it let that be known," and uh, so I did, and and um, you know, they want to know they want to know what characters speak to us when we read them. They want to know what we identify with. Um, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to take a crack at any of them. And, um, yeah, it came very, very close, I think, to switching the puppeteers for Celadon and Brea. Um, but um, I think in the end it suited Helena Speed. It's such a marvelous job with Celadon. And, um, you know, I wasn't privy to all of these conversations. But, uh, but I think um, somehow it all worked out just right, I think. so It absolutely did. Yeah. I can't even imagine it going any other way now. And <laughs> to think that you were just hoping for the the girl character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say that that's amazing. Um, I will say though, a lot of a lot of fans have been asking about um, if there was any of you in your performance of Brea. And so you mentioned how you were hoping for Brea because you felt connected to her. So that's really interesting to hear you say that. Um, did you? Did you feel like there was a lot of Alice in Brea? <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a youngest sister, and um, and I and I also, you know, I really connected with 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 Dark Crystal and you know the fantasy, the fairies, the this, the that, growing up, and um, uh, you know, I I I I felt um, I felt that there was something in her in the fact that uh I really liked I mean all the characters arc all the characters arc beautifully um but I I I think the the clearest arc between sort of spoiled kid into a person who's taking on the mantle of responsibility uh is sort of shared by Rianne and Brea um Deet's an old soul from the beginning um and uh and, and Celadon is already hardened going in, um, even though she definitely arcs. But um, you sort of see these, these, these sort of, you know, couple, couple of, couple of kind of coddled, spoiled kids in Rianne and Brea, and then, and then step up and become, um, you know, the, 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 the wiser, the, the, the leaders, sadder, but wiser. And, uh, and that appealed to me that, that, uh, kind of that trajectory. And, um, when you realize how fast it all turns around for Brea, uh, in that, you, uh, 
how compressed time is when she goes from, I don't need to worry about spoilers, do I? Um, how, how compressed no the way. moment is it. when she goes from seeing her, her mother killed in front of her eyes to her older sister betraying her to being taken out of her childhood home in chains, basically, um, to being an outcast in the, in the desert with this new chosen family and, and, uh, and, this, and this giant rock protector. And you realize that all happens in less than 24 hours, basically. And, uh, you know, it's just one after another, after another, after another. And she just goes from, from, from little kid to, 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 to grown woman, uh, it was overnight basically. And, um, yeah, especially uh, when she meets Rick here, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she grew up real fast when she met him. There is that, there is that, there is that moment. And I don't even remember doing this. It was a surprise to me when I saw it and, and he may have just grabbed it from elsewhere in the edit because Louis was really, really good at taking moments from that were not necessarily connected and inserting them in the middle of uh, another scene. But I honestly don't remember it at all. But there in the edit is a scene where Brea like tosses this come together look over her shoulder at Rakir as she's walking away. I thought, where did that come from? Where did he find that? I don't think that was necessarily connected to that scene, but it's, it <laughs> it's a little shows. Little slip there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a, it's a it's a nice moment where you think, okay, yeah. what happened there? <laughs> I really like it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we all really went Ooh, when we watched it. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a question from someone named uh, a sort of a friend of ours and a member of the Crystal Shard group. His name is Joshua Foreman, and he asks, "Were you involved in the making of the puppet or only the puppeteering?" Um, and I suppose, like, I know you said that you worked with the creature shop. Did you know you were going to puppeteer Brea before she was built? How did that work? Um, I I only went into the creature shop uh, very briefly in a very, very limited um, capacity. Uh, we, we were not... Um, we were we were not particularly available at that time, again, because we were shooting Happy Time Murders. But also, I think they... They, they didn't necessarily, um, you know, they were moving so fast. They didn't really have the, the capacity to, to, you know, involve, involve us a whole lot in the, in the, in the process. Um, I did go in and try those mouths. They're very, very soft. Um, they're beautifully sculpted and they're beautifully made. Uh, and, um, we worked a little bit with, with, you know, working on how to align those lips and teeth because the mouths are so soft and the heads and wigs are so top heavy that, that there was a little bit of, um, you know, they wanted a little bit of, of, of feedback about that. Um, but, um, by and large, we didn't really, uh, I mean, most of the puppeteers were not local there, but even Victor, even Victor and I did not go in much at all. Um, Kevin was there, I think a little more because he was, he was working with, uh, you know, Agra and how to get her performable. Um, but, uh, but still not, not, not as much as you'd think just because, um, those jobs are very, very separate. And I don't, I don't build at all. Certainly not at that level. I can make a sock puppet. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's such specialized skill sets at that point that, um, 
it's generally people who are very, very dedicated to one element of that craft as sculptors or as animatronics designers or as wig makers or uh, costumers. Uh, it's it's uh, very, very specialized. So, no, I don't have any of those skills at that level. Uh, here's a very layman's question. Uh, in terms of your hand, everyone's hands are different sizes. Definitely mm -hmm. women's hands tend to be smaller than men's hands. How mm -hmm. do they... Do they take a cast of your hand? Like, I don't like, how do they build a puppet knowing who is going to be puppeteering it? Um, well, they, uh, it's a, it's a very good point. Um, and, uh, I have had hand, hand casts taken for other shows, but not for this. Um, they, the Gelfling are small. They're really, really small. And they, they, they were better suited to smaller, smaller hands. Um, which is not always the case with, with, you know, a lot of times they'll build, build puppets for the, for the largest potential user of it. Um, but these just, they just needed to be delicate. They just needed to be, they, they, uh, they, you know, they were not necessarily customized to us because you do need to pass them around. You need to pass these characters around from hand to hand sometimes. Um, for instance, if, if, uh, if Rianne and the scroll keeper were in the same scene, which they were sometimes, um, especially in the battle scene, somebody else needs to do the other one. Um, there were plenty of times when Brea and Farah were standing next to each other and, um, you know, I can't do them both. So Ollie, often it was Ollie Taylor that would do Farah. Um, and he's much, much bigger than I am. Um, you know, he, and, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, we had a number of puppeteers who, you know, Louise Gold is left-handed. She, she, um, uh, you know, she covered Brea a time or two when I needed to be elsewhere. And, you know, you, you, you can't customize it to a right-handed person. Um, so they needed to be flexible and they needed to be a little bit generic. Um, and so we just, we did our best. We all had, you know, our sort of custom ways of little pieces of foam and bits that we would stuff in, you know, your thumb is not centered on your hand uh, when you're in a puppeteering position. So we'd stuff the, the void with, you know, we sort of that, that hole where you don't have a thumb would get stuffed with little pieces of foam. And we all had our certain things that we liked and um, you know, you just make it work. And then compare that to your experience with um, working with the ornamentalist, which is an entirely different sort of, puppet than than a gelfling and then you also got to to do the voice which i'm sure was liberating in a lot of ways to actually be able to do the voice for the character you oh it puppeteered really was, what was it really was yeah. yeah um well that is uh you know those are those are heavy and 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 hot and you're using your entire body I and mean, just sort of try to fling those things around and um they uh uh they're they're great fun. They're much more forgiving. I mean, especially the. Uh, I had so much fun with the ornamentalist because she could just flail around, just just large gestures and and very dramatic and big and 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 all over the place. And I had no idea they were going to let me do the voice. I thought I was laying down a scratch track for. I've just thought that it would be a drag roll, really. So I was just having fun with it, and. Um, and you were shouting uh, all day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just, I saw, I saw RuPaul voicing it. I don't know. Um, and it was just, 
it was just enormously, yeah, yeah, fun and, and liberating because, uh, you know, the, 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 the Gelflings show every little tiny thing. Everything needs to be controlled and detail-oriented and, and, and small and specific. And, and boy, it's easy to mess it up. Uh, and, um, and, then, uh, and then with the, with the, with the Skeksis, if you can just physically sling that thing around and stay standing and not crash into anything, you've done your job. And, uh, and so you just have fun with it and it was fun oh it was so much fun I loved doing escapes and um and then they kept you know they kept they, they kept uh, adding to the to the to the challenge you know you'd, you'd feel like you were doing pretty well in a in a in a banquet scene or standing there you know thumping a rod on the ground for in a ceremony but then all of a sudden they're blowing up compost bombs next to you and then they're then they're putting armor on you and then they're putting those big metal flags those intimidating scary flag things that they put up that those are heavy they're metal and they would catch on everything and and yet we we would just kept every time louis th- would would like throw another rock at us we just i don't know we just we just decided we just dug deep and all of us just said we're here we are we're this is what we're doing this is what we're doing today Blow up another compost bomb. <laughs> Once Jimmy, you're a skexis, there's no going back at that exactly. point. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're gonna. You're gonna. You're literally gonna fill the air with manure. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So many jokes. I'm holding back for um for that little tidbit <laughs> there. But um and then recording the voice for the ornamentalist was that that I assume took place after um you puppeteered or was it before? Were you lip syncing to yourself or did you go back and record after? After the fact, um, all all of the all of the shows were recorded on on set. We did the dialogue live. We, there was no memorizing tracks, no lip syncing to anything. Um, we we acted every scene in the moment and put down scratch audio, and then uh, they were looped over afterwards. Um, after the edit was pretty much locked, so they were they were cutting to picture with with um, with all of our voices in for the Gelfling and 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 so on. So. That's why, for the most part, they had women playing the women's parts, men playing the men's parts, um, and we were, and we were, you know, we were, we were, we were acting and doing characters because they needed to edit it and show it to Netflix that way, and and, and you know, we we knew that we were um, really uh, laying down a preliminary performance, not just animating. So um, we we worked very hard at those characters and at the voices and at consistency of voices and at line delivery and so on, even though we knew that, that our, that our voices would eventually be, you know, stripped out and replaced with, um, with, with other actors. And in many cases, like many, many, many times, uh, Anya Taylor joy just did something else with one of the lines that I thought, Oh, why didn't I think of that? That's so good. You know, she really took she really took it to another level, and I, I, I appreciate her her work on that. Um, you know, and so I feel like it was really it was it was really collaborative, even though she and I never met. We haven't met to this day, um, but uh, it was it was uh, then very very nice to get the news that they were going to have me loop the ornamentalist because looping to yourself, replacing your own dialogue is so much so much easier. Because you you can feel what you did, you can remember what you did, you know what your rhythms are, and and, and so on. I was able to um, was able to to 
you know, to have a good time with it. But I was mostly, I was mostly trying to recreate pretty much what happened on set because like you said, with the set all around you, with the other performers, with the characters all there and the sets, the, 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 the lighting and the atmosphere and, you know, you, you want to, you're there in the moment. It doesn't get better than that. You want to try to recreate that. So, um, you know, some of the some of the gasping and wheezing from carrying all that weight was was eliminated. But other than that, the character was the same. I have a. So uh, did you? Go ahead. Go ahead, Jamie. No, you go ahead. That's all good. Fine, fine. <laughs> I will then, ladies first. Um, I was going to ask just real quick if you did any air puppeting while you were in the vocal booth <laughs> recording over yourself. Did you find yourself still doing the hand motions and like still in the puppeteer mindset while you were? Um, recording to yourself and doing the voice? I did. I did do that. Um, and Louis laughed at me, but he respected everyone's process. That's awesome. My question is definitely more technical, knowing that you puppeteered Madra Farah. Um, and w I feel like, and this is just me geeking out, I feel like there was a little bit more control over uh, Brea's expressions than mm -hmm. Madra Ferris. Like, I f was there less tech inside Madra Ferris than there was in, D in Brea? Uh, much, much less. Um, yeah, you can a tell. lot of the, yeah, a lot of the characters that they knew were going to be, you know, more minor characters in the show were not, um, were not given the same level of, uh, electronics, animatronics inside there. Um, the, the sculpts were a little less, uh, specific, um, because uh, they, there just wasn't time. There just wasn't the resources to make all of the secondary characters as detailed um, and as specific and as, you know, I mean, again, their costumes, all the love went into the costumes and, and the, the, you know, the, the sculpts, the paints, everything, it's all, it's all very beautifully done. But um, it's not quite to the level of detail of the principles. And um, so she did not have uh, the same amount of eye movement. Um, she, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, animatronics wise, it's not, it's not there. And also her, the animatronics that she did have were being run by someone else. She didn't have the system with the Wii controller and so on. Oh, interesting, um, interesting. But I, I and, will say that Farah, I, you know, spoiler alert, when she like I she's a character that when you first see her, her sculpt is very specific. Her sculpt is her look. When you see her, you're sort of taken aback a little bit like by her looks. She just looks very different. She's not Brea pretty. She's not Deet pretty. She's her own like woman. And so it took took a little bit to get used to just her aesthetics because she's a little bit different from other Gelfling. But by the time she is, you know, shot out of the sky, essentially, like my heart broke for that character. Like I really like with with the combination of um, Lena Headey's vocals and your performance, like she was a character I loved by the end of it. Like she had I had her heart for sure. She was I, I thought she was even with the limited I, being sort of a, a puppet geek, I could tell that there was more limited tech inside her. She was beautifully uh, cr created, I would, for sure. Yeah, yeah, she was, um, it was fun to do a, a death scene. <laughs> you know, you don't get to do that with puppets very often. 
Um, and uh, again, uh, yeah, doing the animatronics on that was uh, Sue Sue Beatty, uh, and we 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 barely had to rehearse that because at that point we were really thinking with one mind on that character. So um, you know, when she, you know, when the life goes out of her, we just we just sort of did that together at the same time. So that's a very collaborative performance. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, it is hard to turn over that level of control to somebody, to somebody else, you know, to have someone else do the eyes of a character with, you know, life and, and motion, but you do get very close to your co-performers. Um, and I, uh, you know, like with any apprenticeship, well, I still do, but for many, many, many years, I, I was, uh, you know, I was just doubling in backgrounds and doing a lot, a lot, a lot of hands for people. And, um, and it's, uh, you really learn to listen to somebody else non-verbally, you know, you learn, you learn to watch, you learn to sort of listen through a monitor to you, your, your eyes, your eyes are predicting what somebody is going to do. And, um, and, and that's what, uh, what Sue was doing. Uh, with Farah in that in that in that death scene, she just she just got it. She just channeled what was happening, and um, so I was really grateful I had her. But um, but yeah, Farah wound up wound up having more to her than um, than was originally on the page. Uh, uh, I think her her role actually sort of expanded a little bit um, in rewrites and, and and so on. People. Um, I don't know. It was it was uh, it was definitely an interesting. It was an interesting character. I'd like to. I, you know, I, it's um, you know for someone who was locked in. She was in her. You know, for one of her main scenes, she's inside. She's sitting on a throne. You know, she's sitting on her on her throne in the in the stone in the wood throne room, and um, that was basically just a concrete, not concrete, styrofoam block. You know, it looks like concrete, but it um, but it was a solid solid block of foam that was just hollowed out enough for me to be able to fit inside there with my arm up. I couldn't bring my arm down when I was inside that chair and, uh, and I couldn't talk to anyone else or see anything besides my monitor. And, uh, so, so that whole big, that first big scene with Pharaoh was sort of isolating because there was a lot going on in that room. And, uh, and I was basically inside a, you know, a, a, a like a cooler, just it was a it was an interesting interesting um experiment in like a, a skinner box sort of thing a little solo puppet theater yeah exactly <laughs> um i don't want to keep you that much longer we've been talking for a little bit over an hour i have two more questions i don't know sydney uh what you have but i figure we can uh ask our last questions and then call it a wrap I'd be sure. willing to bet they're very similar questions. Okay. So Maybe. let's do this. Uh, my last thing about uh, Madra Farah is the scene where she takes flight after she's sort of uh, put down the gauntlet for Celadon. How is that happening? Like she's flying. Is she on her rig? Is that blue screen or green screen? How was that done? Uh, we were in blue on the on the the Vaprin throne room set uh, for the most part. Um, there's some where it's all, it's all on green and shot separately, but, um, a lot of the time, and you'll see again, you'll see this in the documentary, um, you see it for, uh, for that, 
you see it a lot for lore, where you'll see three full-grown men all in blue behind and around lore, um, and on the set. They're not on. They're not blue on blue. They're blue on the set. But the computers and the, the systems were able to remove the people wearing blue or green and reinstate the background that had been there because it's it's grabbing it from um from plate shots and uh and it wasn't necessarily always a motion control head they've got these systems now where they can just the computers just fill in the background they just know what would be there based on other plate shots and um so yeah there were two two of us in full greens i think on that set um flying Farah around and um and then some others where it's uh where it's shot separately and matted in awesome sydney uh you want to throw in a question and then yes um this is a question that a lot of fans asked and that i actually um want to jump off of as well if there's one scene that you performed, whether it was as Brea or Farah or as the ornamentalist, but my gut tells me it's probably Brea. But if there was one scene that you performed where you just felt, you know, this right here is, this is a scene, this is a moment that's going to stay with me for a really long time. Um, that whether it was just the most fun to perform or the most emotionally investing to perform, um, that looking back and then watching it on screen, you went, yeah, that's, that was the moment right there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, you could probably guess. It's that scene where she, where Brea is standing by herself at the edge of the crystal desert. Um, and it's the first time she's been able to breathe since, um, you know, since she saw her mother die and Celadon turned against her and she was, you know, in, in, captured in the Skex's carriage, you know, she's, she's just, she's just finally, she could just, take a deep breath for a minute and she just starts to second guess and she wants to go back to the castle and she, she can't believe she left her mother there and deep comes over and talks her down off the ledge so basically basically Briz babbling and talking nonsense like I, I can't i can't leave her there i gotta go back I'm happy that, blah, blah. and um and deep just says why don't we why don't we have our own ceremony why don't we let's you know and uh and and she just you know brea realizes oh i'm I'm now in a different world. I can't, I can't go back. I can't go back and do what I want. I can't go back and do what I should. I, I gotta, I gotta work with what I've got and who I've got. And, uh, and that's the moment where her whole character pivots, but, but it's because that, that lovely little deed comes in and, and, and just sort of turns the emotional tide for her. And she, she falls on her shoulder and, and they, you know, they, they cry together for a minute and then they go and have that ceremony. And it was just, it's just, it's really emotional. I mean, every, as an, as a, as an, as an actor, you don't get to do things like that very often with puppets, but when you do, you know, every loss you've ever had comes back. You remember, you remember like, Oh, this is, this is what she's feeling. And, um, I was crying during that scene. I don't, I think Becky was, I mean, we just, it's hard not to when you're, when you're in that and you're saying those things to each other. So, you know, I, I hope, I don't know. I don't know. I thought, I thought Anya's revoicing that was beautiful and she really, she really handled it. She really handled it well. But for me, it's, you know, 
it's not necessarily about the final product. When I remember that scene, I remember sort of the emotions of doing it. You know what? Yeah, I that was of- the. Oh, go ahead, City. I was just saying, I really, that was the exact moment I had a feeling that you were going to say. I, <laughs> I just, it really came across um, watching it. The emotions there, I just, it's really, it came across because we felt it too. Mm. I'm so glad. I'm so glad because, you know, I can't, I can't look at, I can't watch it objectively. <laughs> so it really means a lot to me that it, that it, that it's emotional for you guys too. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I think actually one of my, my favorite opening scenes is, I think it's opening of episode five, I think, where it's a pan out and Brea is in the order of lesser service and that look on her face, oh my God, I die every time. Just, <laughs> it is the funniest, like, she has some of the funniest looks on her face. And I can't, like, I think in general, and I've said this before, the puppetry is across the board in the show is amazing. The show is a masterpiece, but Brea steals every moment she's in. She is just, Oh yeah. She's just a, a miracle of herself. Um, so that, that scene is really funny. Oh my God. I was going to say one more thing. Um, and of course I can't remember what it was and it was, Oh, at any rate, my fault. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Sorry. it was, I, I so appreciate the fact that you, that you're saying that about her. I mean, she, was the opportunity of a lifetime for somebody like me. So I, um, it's just unbelievably gratifying that it means something to other people too. Oh, for sure. Well, if Sydney, if you don't have anything else, uh, I want to say thank you so much, Alice, for coming on the show. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time just because, I, again, uh, Brea is not a character I expected to love or not that I would like, because I don't dislike any character at all. I, I think it's, again, it's all of it is incredible. But I did not expect to love Brea as much as I do. And much of that is because she, of your performance, and she reminds me of Kara. And who knows, she might be Kara's mother, based off of what we see in the Age of Resistance. Um, Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> you know, and I know uh, it's been like quiet as the grave in terms of season two, but. If we get one, uh, we'll see where that goes. So thank you so much for taking the time. It's been been a little bit longer than an hour. This has been one of the most enjoyable interviews that I've had. So, oh well, thank you, and thank you for thank you for doing your podcast and keeping the keeping the fires alive. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. We really, we really, really appreciate that uh, that you muster the. The, the fandom um, because that's who well that's who I was doing this for because I am one too yeah. I, I was doing it for as long as the fans are happy I'm happy uh, by the way do you have a favorite moment from uh, the original Dark Crystal film oh uh, well who can forget the time that they tumble off the edge of the cliff and oh. his wings pop out amen sister yes <laughs> yep yeah that's probably my favorite uh, scene in a movie of all time Mm, so satisfying yeah such a surprise and then just a thrill anything with kira is just life goals yeah (laughs) she's absolute magic trial by stone the dark crystal podcast is a production of three point edit if you'd like to get in contact with the show you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com You can also like us on facebook follow on twitter and instagram and subscribe on youtube If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.3.edit.com.
darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.